so we're going to start into the first week of our conscience study. And so if uh, you didn't happen to bring it today, that's all right, but let's uh, work on being in the habit of bringing it. And that will help us for our discussion times. Essentially, what I want to start with is just working through the preface and thinking through some of these introductory questions that uh, we see here in the chapter about the subject of conscience. At the very beginning, it says uh, in the first paragraph, conscience is one of those subjects. It touches on salvation, progressive sanctification, church unity, evangelism, missions, and apologetics. So my first question would be, in light of that statement, do you agree with that statement? Do you have any examples of how that would be the case? Uh, let's just talk about that for just a minute. Bob. I would say from the standpoint that we make determinations based on our experience and how those things should or shouldn't be, mm-hmm. that our conscience completely affects all of those things. Okay. Uh, good, good. Right. Okay. Good. Any other thoughts along those lines? He uh, they continue with a couple of other questions. When was the last time you heard a sermon about conscience? Okay. Okay, And some of that probably has to do with the fact that um, in our church and in other churches, we tend to go through things chapter by chapter as opposed to doing topical message, so that's part of it. Um, that being said, however, this is an important topic for us to consider. Uh, have you ever mentioned a clean conscience in your testimony as Paul did? If I remember right, the context of that passage, Paul was basically saying, I have a clean conscience with regards to the mission God gave me to the Gentiles that I fulfilled it. Um, Let's see, the passage is, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. And he talks about some other things related to his ministry. So there's probably a few things that are unique about the ministry of Paul that wouldn't be exactly the same as for us, but that is an interesting question to think about. Did those who discipled you talk about keeping a clean conscience? Okay. I would probably tie in, maybe people didn't say specifically conscience, but talking about having the mind of Christ, I think there's a corollary there. Sure. Definitely. Okay, good. Um, how many ministry books emphasize the unbreakable link, as Paul did, between getting your conscience under the Lordship of Christ and achieving success in church ministry and missions? Might be one that I need to think about for sure. And then, do you know that a proper understanding of conscience is a key to church unity? I mean, that would probably be something that I think that we'll definitely see in our, our passage this morning in Acts 15. I like the two examples that they gave, two very different examples. The first one is that for this one fellow named J.D. Garrar, conscience started catching my attention when I came back from Cambodia on home assignment 
and found that I couldn't make myself step over someone else's outstretched legs. Did that uh, example uh, strike any of you as interesting? So here we have something that's, that's we would sort of put in the category of like a, a cultural difference, and yet there's a sense in which his conscience is being connected such that he wants to get over to the chips and salsa, and this person is just sort of sprawled out on the couch, and he can't bring himself to step over the legs because that would be unbearably rude from the Cambodian perspective, and that's sort of the culture that he'd been absorbing for several years. Why would that be? He said, I knew the matter had nothing to do with moral right and wrong, just proper etiquette. How had that new rule wormed its way into my conscience without my knowing it? Should it have been in my conscience at all? What is conscience? Where did it come from? How does it work? Does it always judge correctly? Can it change? How does it change? Why did mine change? How do I take care of my conscience? And so I think one of the issues that's raised in his particular example is this. We have uh, questions like, um, just uh, what would be some examples of things that our conscience would sort of get activated about that we might say, those don't really seem to be right and wrong issues, they're just more cultural issues, background issues, those sorts of things. What would be some examples? Bob? Sure. Okay. Okay. All right. What else? Any other things that might be not automatically a moral issue, like a right-wrong issue per se, but something that our conscience definitely says, this is right, this is wrong, when we think about it? Okay. <laughs> All right. We could throw in there, you know, things like fair trade coffee. Um, um, what about um, uh, where are our clothes made? Okay. 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 We call it house rules or business rules. Any other? Okay. Yeah. Good. What else? Any other examples of just sort of like things that our conscience might accuse or excuse us about that we don't, we can't really think of a Bible verse that applies to it, but it's definitely something that we would might feel strongly about. I'll leave those up there and we'll, we'll think about them some more. So these are the ones that are sort of like more like cultural or practical issues. What are some moral issues that our conscience flares up about, rightfully so? Okay. I, I guess the. I look at it from the perspective of a non Christian wouldn't probably think that that's a big deal. Okay. Okay. What else? What are some other things that uh, are like right-wrong issues that our conscience? Okay. All right. We got lying. 
Okay, stealing. So we could just sort of go down the list with things in the, in, in the Ten Commandments, although, as we'll argue from the morning message, those don't apply to us today in the same way they did to the Israelites. Um, what else? What are some other moral issues that our conscience sort of comes after us about? Okay. Yeah, all right. So we'll just put murder in that category. Um, okay. And you know what? I'm going to I'm going to put that one right here and sort of straddle it because some people would put rightfully or wrongfully so things like getting a tattoo or a piercing in this category, and that would kind of fall over here. And then, obviously, if you were doing something that would be on the verge of severely harming yourself, then that would you know, kind of fall in this. So that's one of those issues that sort of seems to straddle the fence on that particular topic. What else? Sure, or the thing with the neck rings, or the binding of the feet, or all those sorts of things, right? Yeah, okay. What else? Any other moral type issues that conscience comes up about? Okay. Yeah, and that one, that one is another tricky one, because there's parts of it that sort of come over here, there's parts of it that come over here, there's parts of it that are culturally conditioned, as in, in some cultures, you know, Maybe nobody wears hardly anything. Is that biblically acceptable? You know, you know, when in a really warm place by the equator, do as everyone who lives there does, you know, or not? You know, so there's, there's a lot of things that we have to think about. So, I think what this shows us is conscience is activated on a wide variety of issues, right? And we'll get more into this next week. In his case, he's saying, my conscience is activated just as strongly about some of these issues as it is over some of these issues. So I think it's good for us to be aware of that as we go into the next, um, uh, the next sections of the book. The other author, um, it says, For me, Andy, I started thinking more deeply about how conscience works when my wife Jenny and I moved from our fundamentalist context. They were uh, connected with Bob Jones down in Greenville. He actually... Um, a Greek class that I was in, incidentally, and then he moved over to Chicago where he attended Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. We knew godly brothers and sisters at both places, but two actions repeatedly grieved us. People in both places often lobbed verbal grenades at each other as if they were opponents, and they painted each other with a broad brush that lacked sufficient nuance. He felt that the divide between those two groups of people had to do with the conscience. And so we could, um, we could put here, uh, essentially, his, his set of things was less about some of this and this, and more about, um, I guess if we had to put it here, which group am I in? The tricky part about that is that's not entirely disconnected from things over here, questions of worldliness, uh, faithfulness to Scripture, and so on. 
but our attitude and how we approach some of those issues is certainly tied to where our conscience stands. So, as we keep moving through, the argument is we believe you'll benefit greatly from studying the conscience if you want to know how conscience relates to your spiritual maturity. Is that a question you've ever asked yourself? How does conscience, what does that have to do with spiritual maturity? I mean, I think as we'll see from the passage in Acts 15, that's a really important question because they address, and I'm not going to give away the whole sermon, you still have to stay for it, but um, they address this issue. How are Gentiles saved? And actually, I'm kind of putting these backwards, so I'll just draw a line. How are Gentiles saved? And how are Gentiles related to Jews. So that's what we're going to look at in Acts 15, which kind of ties into this question, right? Which group am I in? But also ties into this question, am I being faithful to what God's required and commanded of me? Bob? Yeah. And I think the conscience obviously is a huge part of how we determine that. Sure, definitely. Okay. Have you ever wanted to know how to get along with people who have different personal standards than you? Presumably, yes. I mean, some of us maybe we just don't want to get along with anybody, but that's not a good attitude to have. So um, that's, that might be our natural inclination. I'd be happy, you know, living off by myself, that sort of thing. But that's not a, a helpful place to be in. I'm just taking a picture of this because I'm going to erase it. And uh, I think this is an important one for us to park on for a second and sort of think about. Um, and that is, what are some differences of personal standards that can potentially create a divide between groups of people? Jim. I think we'll get into that more next week, but I think the short answer would be that it is from God, according to Romans chapter 2, but it can be influenced both by godly and ungodly input. Or, um, I mean, if we looked at the criteria like a sieve or a grid or whatever, the thing that shapes and molds that can either be God or it can be the world. So the tool itself is not bad, but the criteria that, that it operates on, those are, are influenced and should be influenced by God and His Word, but sometimes they're influenced by other things. So we're going to talk later in the book about how you can have a conscience that is too sensitive, or you can have a conscience that's not sensitive enough. So does that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. What are some examples of personal standards that can create conflict between people? Bob? Okay, we put, put broadly music, all right, Bible version. I mean, we can broaden this out beyond just our immediate context as well. Just generally speaking, what are some conflicts and personal standards that can create, that can result from differences? Okay, that's still kind of like a specifically Baptist thing, but um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to think where 
sometimes they can shut it down. Yeah. Which I was encouraged to see that we didn't have an extended discussion about that at the business <laughs> meeting, but um, probably because we weren't there yet, but no, I'm just kidding. Um, Okay. Um. Okay. Uh, that's really though a moral issue though. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, what was the? You said something about how we conduct ourselves, and someone else said something right after you. Okay. Parenting. All right. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think that'd be part of that probably. Parenting, discipline, education. So for uh, just to sort of park on that one for a second, um, it's been interesting to watch the shift in our culture from 50 years ago to like the dad goes to work and that's his job and when he comes home, he's done to some extent. I mean, that's a little bit of a caricature, but that was largely how a lot of people operated. And to be fair, you know, sometimes the dad was working 50, 60, 80, 90 hours a week, and so that didn't leave a whole lot of time for other things. But is there a role for father and mother both in parenting? I think Scripture would argue for it according to Ephesians 6. Um, it's more the what does that look like that gets challenging when it comes to things like discipline. Um, again, and some of this is... a. Uh, an age thing like a chronology. Some of this is a uh, background, but something like what is a proper way to discipline? You know, there's some people who say if you send your kid to their room to think about what they've done wrong, you're not being faithful to Scripture about how you discipline your child. Um, uh, but, I mean, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of factors going into that. Or the question of education. I mean, usually it's, it's uh, Christian, public, Homeschool. There's a lot of sort of variations underneath all three of those. But there were people. I remember when I was um, going to homeschool conferences in my teenage years. There were people who basically said, you know, if you send your kids to public school, then you you must hate God. You must not love your kids. You know, all those sorts of things. And certainly, um, certainly since then, I think I've seen the value of going to a secular university while still being plugged into your home church. And uh, sometimes that's a better choice, depending on what field you're going into, than going off to a Christian college. I'm not saying it's the right choice for everybody, but it's certainly, I think, a legitimate option. But that's the sort of discussion where, you know, in the 60s and 70s, it's like, if you don't go to a Christian whatever, it's not the right thing to do. And so we made Christian everything, Christian retirement homes, Christian daycares, Christian um, all sorts of things. And some of that was tied to maybe let's, let's isolate ourselves perhaps more than we should, but some of it was uh, a good thing to think through as well. So, all right, so that's a big one. All right, politics. Which college do you think? Yeah. Sure. Here, we'll just put Ohio versus. No. Um, so let's go to the politics one for a second. How many of you think we should build a wall? 
Okay. All right. How many of you think that we should take the gospel to people instead of, uh, instead of shutting them out? Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. It's not, it's not a... But here's my point. Well, we had a discussion, uh, a couple area pastors that had a discussion that I was part of a week or two back, and they were basically saying, sometimes this sort of shouts or drowns out our thought as Christians, which is, should we care about families being ripped apart from the perspective of being concerned about justice from the Old Testament? Yeah. Should we concern, be concerned that laws are upheld? Certainly. But is the right way to go about it to specifically um, put people in extraordinarily difficult situations? Yes. I know we're not debating this right now. Yeah. But when you build a house, you have doors for entry and exit. Mm-hmm. You have windows to look through. Then you have walls to protect. You can keep honest people honest. It should be the same way. Okay. But here's my point. If you disagree with what Bob just said, can you still fellowship with him in the church? That this is the sort of issue that we're getting at with the subject of conscience, you know? We need to pray for all of us is the bottom line. So um, all right, but but honestly, even this one, we joke about it, but sometimes people get really really into these things so much that it like ruins family relationships or something. Eric. Okay. That this is abortion, for example. Everybody who's a Christian would be against abortion in such a certain way. But the opposition will say, will boil it down to, oh, you hate women. Right. And then oversimplified right. puts it in a completely different context. Sure. Yeah. And, and that's certainly something to think about in terms of all of these sorts of things. It is very, it is so much easier to say, you should love refugees, or you should build a wall. Then it is to say, what are the biblical principles that sort of stand behind all of those sorts of conversations? And that's why the conscience thing is tricky, because it requires a lot of work. If my conscience is wrong and I have to retrain it, that's a lot of work. If someone else's conscience is wrong and I have to live with them while they seek to understand and know God better, that's challenging. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going into this. All right, going back to their... uh, their questions, I think those, those illustrate it pretty well. Going back to the questions that they give there. Um, do you want to help people in your church understand why they have culture clashes with those of different opinions and habits? Sometimes we don't get along with people, and we don't understand necessarily why, but a lot of it has to do with conscience and some of these kinds of issues, right? Um, and I don't think it's healthy. I'll, I'll get, I don't think it's healthy for us to just say we should only spend time with people that we agree with on all these things, because I think it's helpful for us to see other perspectives as well. Yes. When you went to Spain, yeah. I had no reference about some of the culture thing, and we were. Somehow both buddies got brought up, and I was 
I would want to go see that. Yeah. And the people were so offended. Yeah. Mm. And I, John pulled me aside later and said, some people are very sensitive to because the bull gets killed and it's oh, yeah. they're toying with them. And I was like, you know, I didn't even think about that. I just thought, you know, wow, it's something that you you see on cartoons and TV can give a wee lag. And yeah. It's an interesting spectacle. Yeah. We don't think about all the other things. Yeah, good. I think this next thing that they highlight, you want to learn how to adjust your conscience to match God's standards without sinning against your conscience, or you feel the weight of a guilty conscience and want to experience freedom and happiness of a clear, cleansed conscience. <coughs> so, do we ever have this question about my conscience doesn't seem to be right? How do I fix it? How many of you have had that? I mean, I know, I know I've been there. This, something's not, the way my conscience is working doesn't seem to line up with the way things are or the way things Scripture s- says things should be. Or I just feel really guilty. Why do I feel guilty about this? Just as an example. Um, there is, uh, there was a lady who I knew at another, uh, when I was doing um, sort of a shut-in visitation for the inner city, and basically the circumstances were that her dad ended up getting sick and passing away, and she felt like she was the direct cause of all of that because of some decisions she had made about his care. And to bear that sort of guilt, I should have done this, I did something wrong, I mean, that's a heavy load to carry. And I think this touches on how do you adjust your conscience in a matter like that? So I'll just throw that out there. If someone feels guilty for the death of a family member, how would you approach that subject with them with regards to recalibrating, if you will, their conscience? Okay, so it's not all up to me. That's an important one. What else? Test those things through the circumstances in which it's told that is not related to the conscience. Okay. Um, what if they legitimately made a wrong decision? Okay. So there should be probably an acknowledgement, right? I should have done this instead of that, but also a recognition tied in with God's sovereignty and the circumstances that A, I can't change it. B, it's not something that, that, um, that God uh, was surprised by. Um, and we we feel this we feel this tension on a regular basis. Um, something bad happens. There's always that question of what should I have done differently. And there are people out there who will say, if you had only done blank, everything would have been okay. And that is a heavy load to bear. And I don't think one that can legitimately be put on people in most circumstances. I mean, if somebody really did something bad, confess it, repent of it, that sort of thing. If someone in the limited nature of our understanding of the world could not have anticipated something, I mean, to put put guilt on someone about that is, is, I think, an unfair thing to do. I thought this was an interesting quote. I wanted to chat about it just for a second. A church that thinks it has gotten beyond last generation's debates 
over music and wine will find that this generation's debates over recycling and child discipline are just as divisive. What's your reaction to that statement just uh, from when you read it? Any thoughts? Okay, what's the same issue? That people have made determinations based off of how they were raised and taught that there's only one way to do something. Okay. Okay. So would you agree that those are last generation's issues and or that we should move on from them? Okay, good. And, yeah, Eric. Okay. So, I guess, again, I, I know this isn't the discussion, but I think we can't avoid having standards to avoid people labeling us as legalists. Okay. Yeah, so let's talk about that for just a second, because I think that's a helpful thing to think about. So, on the question of standards, This ties in, I think, very nicely with the discussion we've been having for the last five or six months, right? Because I think our confidence about this should be tied to the proximity of the issue to a biblical command, right? So, God says in 1 Thessalonians 4, um, flee immorality, okay? That's a really black and white sort of thing. When it comes to something like, what school do you go to? It says, parents train your children. It says, give, uh, make sure that they are following God. It doesn't say, go to this school or that school or that school, right? And so I think when we come to something like this, at the core, should parents teach children? To follow God. Yeah, that's a non-negotiable. Where does that happen? Is somewhere further out in the circle. And so I think our confidence and our em emphasis and our fervency with which we hold a particular standard is tied to how closely connected to Scripture it is. Going back to the thing you said earlier, um, how much TV should I watch? Is there a number in the Bible that says... If you watch more than X hours of TV a week, you are sinning. No, I think from principle we can say, though, that there is probably what our culture does as a general average is too much. But really, the starting point should not be, how much do I watch TV? The starting point should be things like, what am I watching? What, is, what am I excluding by watching it? All those sorts of questions. Because those are really the more important issues. Sometimes we get hung up out here on like what's the specific number about something. How much food is too much? How much entertainment is too much? How much whatever is too much or too little 
And because we start out here, we start arguing out here instead of going back to more of the center point of what does God actually say is right and wrong about this particular issue. So I think that's an important thing for us to think about. And I would agree, we should have standards. We just have to recognize, is this a biblical you must do blank? Is this a practical like house rule, whether it be in the church or work or at your home? Um, or, or where does it fall between those things? So, yeah, I think that's a good thing to think about. Um, all right. And I think it's interesting to bring out this question about divisiveness because um, sometimes we think the most important issue is that someone conforms to the specific standard. But there's also a question of Am I so set on this particular thing that may be out here that I'm willing to say, you know, here's the church. I don't care where the church ends up as long as I win on this issue. And I think that that's something that's, that we have to watch out for because I think there was a, we were playing a, a game yesterday and um, there's a certain competitiveness that, that sort of rises up in some of us when it comes to different things like that. That can spill over into the church. I've thought about a few times since we played that game, should I have just let Braden win because it would have made him happy um, instead of choosing to win through... Uh, playing a particular word that was obscure, although legitimate in the dictionary, you know. Um, if my goal had been to serve the members of my family, I could have just played something quickly and accepted a loss. If my goal was to win, which it was at the time, then I would do what I did and I, I would win, you know. Um, we get that attitude in the church as well. It's something to think about, you know. All right. A few more things to think about. What exactly is the conscience? We're going to get into some definitions next week when we get into chapter 1. But what I would like to do this week is just sort of talk through a couple of these things and then see if our perspective changes in the coming weeks as we talk about it more. So what is the conscience? Describe it for me. Okay, an inner voice. What else? Okay, all right. So we have the idea of a voice. We have the idea of a circle. What else? Okay. I think I put those in the right. Here's the little, here's the little needle there. All right, moral compass. What else? Okay, good. All right, so I think these are all helpful ways of thinking about the conscience. Um, it's something that's clearly part of us. It's something that, although is part of all of us, is different for each one of us, even if our backgrounds are very similar. 
So I think that's helpful to think through. All right, so what is the conscience? That's something to think about. What should you do when your conscience condemns you? So, I'm right. We'll just take this one because it's simple. I'm right here, and my conscience says I'm right here. What am I supposed to do? Get back in the circle. Okay. So I should get back in the circle. What else? Any other thoughts? Okay. We should look at where this line is. What else? What are some other... What's that? Okay. So I have the question of where, where does God stand on the issue? Is it possible, theoretically, that we might have to do this? Okay. Is it possible we might have to do this? Yeah. So there's an element of uh, adjusting our conscience that's involved. What's that? Okay, yeah, and there'll be some illustrations in the book as we get further that maybe, and, you know, here's my conscience, here's your conscience, here's what the Bible actually says. So there has to be adjustment in a variety of directions. Is that a terrible Venn diagram? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, how should you relate to fellow Christians when your consciences disagree? All right? Here's Christian 1, here's Christian 2, here's God. How do we relate to each other when there's disagreement? Where they overlap, common ground. Okay. There's not a lot of common ground between these two. Let me make it a little bit bigger. Okay. So here's, here's common ground right here. All right. What about this and this? Okay. 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 I think it's more important to instead of saying I say this, you say that, let's see what God says. Okay. And let's use that as a litmus test. Yeah, so we should be focused on getting better aligned to this, which theoretically will make us closer aligned, but sometimes we want to say, let's align us, and we're still like, okay, now we're in agreement, but we're not in agreement with God. So if we, had, if we had this, and here's God, and here's 1 and 2, that's not a good situation to be in, right? So now we're getting along, but we're not getting along with God. That's kind of the problem, right? So, all right, good. And then I think the, let's see what the last question here was. How should you relate to people in other cultures when your consciences disagree? Don't, re don't relate to people in other cultures and you don't have to answer that question, right? Well, I would say <laughs> practically yeah. that's not a huge challenge for us at this point, right? I mean, in our regular daily lives, I don't think we are forced to interact. Not that we should okay. but we're not really forced to interact with a lot of people from most other cultures unless we're just saying, Okay. So, you know what I'm saying? I mean, is it a part of our life or a big thing that we see as part of our life? Sure. Well, unless you're going to attack it, then. Okay. Good. Eric? Well, if you're traveling abroad or if you're in a missionary country, you want to align yourself with the culture that you're in as long as you're not causing a violation of God's law 
Yeah, sure. So we've certainly got a, an example. I think the culture one is like this, but um, come on in, you're doing fine. Um, the culture one is like that, but we have, for example, here's God, here's this person and this person, here's this person's culture and this person's culture. So there's a lot of circles there, but to what degree does my culture align with God? To what degree does their culture align with God? To what degree do I align with the culture? To what degree do they align with the culture? So there's a lot of overlaps, but culture being the product of sinful people is going to mean that there's parts of their culture that I can't embrace. So going back to the example of, is it legitimate to say, we're not going to wear any clothes because the people in this culture don't wear any clothes? We would have to sort of go back to Genesis and say, what does God say about the purpose of clothing and why do we have it, all those sorts of things. And it's more than just, is it weather like this or is it weather like in the Caribbean, you know? So, um, so it's a definitely an important thing for us to think through. So these are some of the things that we'll try to, try to work through as we move forward. So uh, any last-minute thoughts? Jonathan. Causing someone else to stumble, mm -hmm. we should be sensitive to that and be patient and show grace. But apart from that, we do what our conscience, you know, as long as we're seeking to be, to have a biblical conscience, I guess I should say, yeah. then we do that as much as possible. Sure. But, so I don't think we acquiesce yeah. and say, oh, well, they believe that's okay, so let's leave it alone. Right, right, right. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the service this morning. So, um, there we go. Um, uh, yeah, so I, it, and I think the humility issue is very important, and I think the patience issue is another important part of it. So, all right, let's close with prayer, and we'll pick this up again next week. So, read chapter one for next week. Lord, we thank you for this day, this opportunity to think about these issues. Help us to be humble. Help us to be patient. Help us to consider how we can be better aligned with you and your truth. And uh, hopefully in, the, uh, in doing so, we will also be more closely unified with one another, but also recognizing the most important thing is how we're connected with you. So we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.